You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of the collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner, volume 211 in the collected works, entitled The Sun Mystery and the Mystery of Death and Resurrection, Exoteric and Esoteric Christianity. Lecture 6 is entitled Investigating and Formulating the Cosmic Word in Inhalation and Exhalation, given in Dornach, April 1st, 1922. Some spiritual realities are best approached through images. In such instances it is necessary to refrain from using habitual abstract and intellectual ways of speaking. This is certainly the case with regard to what I will attempt to present today. To make the matter as simple as possible, suppose we have an enclosed space with a window. Let us assume that light enters through this window and fills the space. Let us also assume that the light is filled with all sorts of transparent dome-like surfaces that reflect and transmit the light in a great variety of ways. Now suppose I will, excuse me, suppose I allow steam to flow up through this enclosed space. There is also an outlet that allows it to flow out again. This steam, however, is a living, feeling being. It flows into and through the sparkling light that is changed, reflected, and transmitted by the domes. Before leaving the enclosed space, the steam perceives whatever it can, touching and feeling the light to internalize an image of it. Now let us assume that after a while, when the steam flows out, it is able to reproduce and express what it experienced inside the enclosed space in the sparkling, flickering light. Imagine an instrument of some sort that allows the steam to express its experience by sounding musical notes or the like. Now consider a different version of this picture. Instead of the enclosure, we have the interior of the human head, and instead of the window, the eye, E-Y-E, which admits impressions of light. The transparent domes of the first illustration are the nerves and convolutions of the brain. Instead of steam, imagine inhaled air streaming up and sensing everything that sparkles and flickers in the brain as a result of in-streaming light and is then shaped into thoughts. The air then streams downward following the spinal cord. Instead of an instrument, it encounters the human larynx, which allows it to express its experiences. Here you have an image of what actually happens in the human head. Now let us go back to the first drawing. Suppose we shutter the window so it is very dark inside the enclosure when the steam flows up into it. In this case, the steam does not perceive the light that enters through the window and is dimmed and reflected in various ways. Instead, the steam perceives forms inside the enclosure itself, perhaps shapes once constructed by a carpenter, for example. What the steam senses 
will be the results of the carpenter's actions, and when it flows out again it will again be able to express what it perceived. But now let us assume that the carpenter constructed the space in a very particular way. Let us suppose that he was the master carpenter of the universe and that he constructed the space in the image of the entire cosmos. What the steam then touches and senses when the window is shuttered is the mysteries of the entire cosmos. When the window is open, the steam perceives the light that sparkles in from outside, but when the window is shut, it perceives the room's contents, the image of the entire cosmos. Imagine that we have here an image of the cosmos, and in fact the marvelous convolutions of the brain really are an image of the entire cosmos. If we shut off our senses and then allow inhaled air to flow along the spine into the head, we can touch and sense the mysteries of the brain's inner space. But we must not simply allow the air to touch things willy-nilly in a disorganized, chaotic fashion. This must be done systematically. You know that if we want to confirm that a certain piece of fabric is made of silk, we have to touch it in a particular way. Our touch must be appropriate to what we are attempting to perceive. If we meet what we are touching halfway, we can recognize it for what it is. Last week <clears throat> I mentioned that when the original ancient Eastern yoga was in full flower, its devotees were able to attain higher knowledge by manipulating their breathing. They knew that the configuration of nerves inside the head reflected cosmic mysteries and that they could grasp these mysteries if they managed their breathing appropriately. I am talking about the original yoga, not the decadent secondary developments we know as yoga today. As the devotees of the original yoga inhaled, they sent their breath up inside the dome of the head, which is an image of the entire cosmos. They shaped this stream of air into a sound somewhere between ah and o oh, or ah and oo. Like hands whose shape we adapt to the outer objects we touch, the sound ah oo was adapted to touching and sensing cosmic mysteries. The resulting perception then became conscious of the air. Excuse me, let me read that again. The resulting perception then became conscious as the air was allowed to flow out again in a mood of absolute devotion. What was accomplished by inhaling, by touching with air imprinted with the sound A-U, was then offered to the world in a mood of devotion, allowing exhaled air to flow out in the sound M. M. The breath shaped inside the body into the sound Aum received cosmic mysteries as reflected or reproduced in the nerves inside the head. Cosmic mysteries were brought to life or to consciousness as the air was exhaled in the sound M. This was the basis of the original yoga training. A yoga student of ancient times experienced something like this. The mysteries of the entire universe are in my head. I sense them when I inhale. When I inhale, I perceive cosmic mysteries. But I can hold on to them only as long as I maintain an attitude of absolute devotion to the cosmos. 
otherwise they remain in the unconscious. In other words, <clears throat> inhalation was shaped into the cosmic word, which weaves and surges as the force that creates the universe. When they grasped the cosmic word and then breathed out in absolute devotion to the cosmos, yoga students recognized inhalation as the revelation of the cosmic word and exhalation as its condensation and affirmation. Aum unites revelation and affirmation, bringing cosmic mysteries to life within the human being. For us, today, sound has moved up a step. It is expressed in real, concrete thought, not in intellectual thoughts. Inhalation becomes thought, and exhalation becomes the deliberate living manifestation of thought. In other words, we separate the unified experience of inhalation as revelation and exhalation as affirmation into thought exercises and will exercises. Through thinking, trained in meditation, we receive revelation. Through will exercises, we affirm the revelation. For modern humanity, what was once experienced in respiration and shaped into vowel sounds in inhalation and consonants in exhalation now manifests on the level of the soul in thought that is contemplated inwardly but pervaded with will in devoted submission to the cosmos. The process is the same, but it has been ensouled and internalized. Nonetheless, it still consists of perception and affirmation, perception of our internalized experience of cosmic mysteries and affirmation of the cosmos and its spiritual foundation. <clears throat> Let us look at this from a different perspective. It can be said that human beings are born out of light and that the interior of the human being, the entire nervous system, is the product of light. In addition to the eye, E-Y-E, all the other sense organs also convey light. The eye is simply the organ that conveys light in the most obvious sense. We cannot say that blind people are totally cut off from light. It works within them. They simply do not perceive it consciously. Sound also works within us, in the entire body, and not just in the ear, which is simply an organ for perceiving sound. When we experience a symphony, for example, we experience it with our whole body. In the inner process of listening to a piece of music, our respiration shifts into very specific rhythms. These rhythms are specific musical processes evoked by the composition. They are shapes in the element of air inside our body. As such, they bounce off the shapes of the brain, which force them back. This is what produces musical impressions. Inside us, sound is constantly touching and sensing light. This concept is important to remember. Inside us, sound touches light. The sound in us, the sounding body, is actually an organ of touch for light. Light is the outer element, sound the inner element. The inner element touches the outer. We grasp an essential aspect of being human only when we understand that we are special beings removed from the cosmic music of the spheres. 
As human beings we feel our way around in the light. Within us sound discovers the nature of the cosmos in configurations of light. Only in our era has human will begun to touch cosmic thought. Now will replaces sound, thought replaces light. As I have said before, these things are very difficult to formulate in abstract intellectual terms, but the image that I attempted to present will make it accessible to you, excuse me, accessible if you contemplate it a bit. The important point about human beings' relation to the cosmos is that the human head is an image of the entire cosmos. When a human embryo begins to develop in the womb, it is shaped in the image of the cosmos. In the earliest stages of development, the human being is essentially all brain, an image of the cosmos. You can study the cosmos by studying an early stage embryo. Everything that is not an image of the cosmos is added later and can be described as follows. Here is the earth with the human being on it. A portion is taken from the embryo to add the rhythmic forces that surround the earth and work parallel to its surface. The chest is formed out of streams of forces encircling the earth. You can see them reflected in the ribs. The last to be added is the effect of the earth itself which streams upward from below and is reflected in the legs. As a result, the human body can be drawn as consisting of currents that flow upward from the earth, currents that encircle the earth and are related to the chest, and the head at the top as the image of the entire cosmos. Throughout a human lifetime, what happens in the head remains an image of the entire cosmos. The very fact that we have a head means that each of us carries an image of the entire cosmos around with us. All we have to do is perceive it. We would not perceive it if the earth had not organized our body in a way that makes possible the appropriate organs. In fact, the earth perceives the cosmos through human beings, and the chest provides the connecting link. The cosmos causes inhalation. The earth causes exhalation. The cosmos supplies pure oxygen. The earth causes oxygen to combine with carbon, transforming it into the deadening air that we exhale. But in the process of producing dead air, we gain the ability to understand. <clears throat> understanding is always associated with death processes in the human being. Understanding kills us. The cosmos enlivens us. But we would develop very rapidly if we were subject only to the cosmos. The cosmos supplies us with the most life during the embryonic period. Later, the forces that circulate around the earth begin to work on us, and later still, the forces streaming up from the earth itself. These forces convey the life that the cosmos contributes to the body until our portion of cosmic life is used up. The cosmos enlivens us, but the earth kills us, both as physical organisms and as etheric organisms. The human etheric body, however, belongs primarily to the cosmos, while the physical body belongs primarily to the earth. If you consider all this and recall that the people of ancient times cultivated higher knowledge by regulating respiration, 
so they could explore cosmic mysteries within themselves, you will then realize that these people felt themselves related to the entire cosmos. You will understand how they experienced the cosmic word through inhalation and attempted to sacrifice to the cosmic word in exhalation. Through yogic breathing, they attempted to insert themselves, or rather their consciousness, into cosmic processes. For, of course, they themselves were always involved in cosmic processes, though not consciously. No documentation exists of the original yogic breathing, and superficial modern descriptions leave us none the wiser about what it was actually meant to accomplish. Modern anthroposophical spiritual science, however, does allow us to understand its purpose. By the time documents were produced, ancient yogic breathing no longer existed in its original form. We can never depend on historical documents to reveal the real mysteries of human origins on earth. These mysteries are disclosed only to those who can look back on times much more ancient than those recorded in outer documents. The mystery of the Eastern Aum prayer, if I may call it that, I could also call it the Aum cognition formula, for it is that too, is revealed only when we really know how human beings relate to the cosmos through inhaling and exhaling. Air does not convey specific pitches by itself, but it certainly does so when differently tuned strings are plucked. Similarly, inhaled air, sent through the brain together with the Aum sound, expresses all the mysteries of the cosmos within us. When we know this, we understand how we as human beings are connected to the cosmos. We touch and sense how we have become the personalities we are now. Before conception, we lived in the world of spirit and soul. But in the descent to earth, we passed through the ether of the entire cosmos as we gathered our ether body around us. In this process, we absorbed all the mysteries of the cosmos and gradually imprinted them on our brain. Infants are still involved in this imprinting process. Later we can rediscover these mysteries within us through deliberate effort. In ancient times, breathing exercises were used for this purpose, but now we do it through thinking. The power of thought, which is nothing other than the diluted force of respiration, is also configured if and when it is actually directed through the brain. Modern people do not do this. We do not guide the power of thinking through our brains. Instead we hear words spoken in our language, words in which thoughts are inherent. What we allow to pass through us is nothing more than imitative babbling based on our nationality. This process yields no inner insight. At best we write books about how impossible it is to understand anything through language, although it is all we have. We write critiques of language because we have no idea of what the power of thinking hits up against. We know only what is recorded in the words. Modern human beings are simply sounding boards for words. People with keen minds like Fritz Mothner then write books about the fact that words actually encompass nothing of the world's essence. 
All this, however, gets us no closer to understanding other human beings or the cosmos, and especially not human beings' connection to the cosmos. We must acknowledge the profound truth of the statement that human beings are human as a result of inhaled air, the breath of the divine. Through this inhaled air, we discover the entire cosmos in ourselves. We discover that we, ourselves, are a microcosm. If you take what I have presented here today and ponder it from all aspects, you will find that you gradually arrive at very significant associations. The fact that I initially simply drew you a picture is not owing to some personal quirk. When dealing with spiritual subjects such as this, it is important to avoid the use of abstract words. Instead, we must attempt to approach the reality of the situation through images. I believe that I have pointed to a very important chapter in anthroposophical spiritual science today. I will continue tomorrow in greater detail. The end of Lecture 6